Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will pick up the text in Genesis 11, verse 27, and we'll take it out to the end of the chapter. Just a few verses here, 27 to 32. This is significant because we're entering another natural division in the book of Genesis, which is these Toledoth statements. So we had a very short one in the kind of middle of the chapter from verses 10 to 26, and that is following the line of Shem, and we discussed that, why it's just given in the format that it's given so that we can have that direct line and understand exactly how it is that Israel traces their descendancy. Uh, interestingly, I think may have mentioned this before, but we'll just reiterate this here. The name Shem in Hebrew actually means name. <laughs> and that that will come into play uh, in, in a little bit. So that that's an interesting one in and of itself. And I think that there's some theological implications behind that. Well, now we come to one of the longest Toledoths uh, in the entire book of Genesis. This one starts here in verse 27, and we won't come across another Toledoth, natural division, until chapter 25, verse 12. So this is going to run for about 14 chapters here, a good chunk of the book out of 50 chapters total. And this one here, remember the Toledoth, these are the generations uh, this is going to tell us what became of the person mentioned. And in verse 27, we read this. Now, these are the generations of Terah. So Terah is who we're interested in here. And even though we don't know a whole lot about him, either from the preceding section or from what follows, all, all we know from Terah, right, is in verse 24, when Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years, had other sons and daughters. That's where we're introduced to him. And then when Terah, verse 26, had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Uh, so that's really all we know about him. We don't have a whole lot of narrative. All we know is that he's the father of Abram and three or two others, and Nahor and Haran. That's important, and the reason this Toledoth goes as long as it does is not only are we tracking primarily Abram, but one of the other cousins is going to come into play here, as well as uh, some of his other relatives when he's trying to find spouses for his own children. And so that's all going to come into play, and that's why we're tracing Terah, or Terah. Of note, it is Haran who is the father of Lot, and we see this in verse 27 uh, as well. After we get the Toledoth, these are the generations of Terah or Terah, uh, depending on how you want to put that emphasis there. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. And of course, we need to know that he fathered Lot because it is Lot who is going to accompany Abram 
and it is lot that is there. That's why we get some of the divisions that we do in the land and why Israel ends up where they do. And this is our exposure to Sodom and Gomorrah and all of these things. Uh, so that's all going to come into play here. Just following the history, as we continue in verse 28, Haran, this is Lot's father, died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Verse 29, And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren, or Sarai was barren. She had no child, which is what it means. So now we understand that Lot is, for all practical purposes, orphaned. His father has died, and that is how Lot ends up with Abram. And so that's very important for us to understand. And then we are given uh, the basic family units here. Abram and Nahor are left and they each take wives. Abram, Sarah, of course, they're going to become Abraham and or Abram and Sarai are going to become Abram, Abraham and Sarah. And we have the statement of Sarai's barren status, and it's then restated. And we just want to point out that restatement in Scripture doesn't mean that it's any more true necessarily. The Scripture only has to say something once for it to be true. But what it does tell us is that it is a sure thing. Uh, again, you know, think about some of the visions that come up later when Joseph is interpreting dreams and visions for Pharaoh, and he said that you've seen it twice means it's coming quickly, uh, and it is sure, you know, it's it's going to happen. This barrenness is not, you know, uh, th- this isn't something that is maybe i mean this is this is long ironclad in their life it is a long-standing reality for them and of course we understand that by the time the lord changes that in their life uh, she's quite old 90 years old for her when she finally bears a child uh, naturally biologically not through a handmaiden and abram is uh, abraham is 100 when isaac is born so you know re- remember that so his brother nahor marries milka Haran's daughter, uh, the sister of Lot. So that's interesting. And the sister of Iscah. Now just keep in mind, we are still early in the book of Genesis. We don't have the prohibitions on incest until later. As the human population is growing and expanding, as we've talked about earlier, you know, where did uh, Cain get his wife and so forth? Uh, It had to be one of his sisters. And as the gene pool is pure, uh, incest is not going to pose the problem that it will in future generations. And there is no other practical way for someone to get a a wife. But now because of the the genetic problems and everything like that, we have laws against that. Those come in, you know, even in biblical times. And so things are different now. So don't, don't be put off by that, but just understand that, that this would have been fairly common even even then. And of course, we have that reset with the flood. So, uh, you know, you have a basic family unit. It's not just Adam and Eve, but now you have the eight. Well, they have children. Who are their children going to marry? Their, their, their children are going to marry their brothers and sisters and cousins, all, you know, either brothers and sisters or first cousins. And it's going to be that way for for a little while here. 
Now, in verse 31, we are told something interesting here, and this is, I think, really the only section where we where we see this. But in verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. What I find so fascinating about this particular, you know, little section here in verse 31 is that, you know, we're going to see in verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord commanding Abram to get up and go, and he follows. But it looks like the initial move toward that included his father. And, and it says, and we have the statement from scripture that Terah was part of this and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to, there's a purpose clause, to go into the land of Canaan. And before we get to the stop, you know, the, but they came to Haran, it looks like Terah was going to be a part of that, Abram's father. Now, What's interesting, right, is he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran died, so they've kind of spread out. They're following the Edenic mandate, and so there's a little bit of a journey here to go to one of his son's locations. This is where Lot, you know, I don't know how old he was when his father died, but it's it's probable that this is the land where Lot grew up. And so they had purposed to, to move out of Ur, and to go to the land of Canaan because we're told that they were headed that way. And, and yet they stopped in Lot's homeland, the land of his youth where his father was. So this is all Abram's or Terah's territory, really, right? Terah and his three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, they've all spread out into this region. Now that does raise a question as to where Ur of the Chaldeans actually is located. And there has been some debate, but uh, almost two centuries ago, it was identified in an archaeological uh, dig as being in southern Iraq, modern-day Iraq. And that's really, most people still confirm that, although there's some debate as to whether it could be a place in Turkey and some various places, you know, claim different different locations, but there seems to be a general consensus that this is in modern day Iraq and uh, Southern Iraq at that. So you're going to have to cross the Arabian Peninsula to get over to the land of Canaan, Canaan being partially where modern day Israel is today. The land that Israel occupies today, uh, and keep in mind that the Israel of today did not come into, you know, they reformed in 1948. Uh, the boundaries for that are nowhere close uh, to to some of the boundaries that we will see stipulated later on in this book. And there's there's some key places along the book of Genesis that we have to uh, reconcile with some statements that are made in the book of Joshua, for instance. Uh, and we recognize that the boundaries... I'll just say it here in summary form, and then we'll get into it later when we get into deeper portions of of the book that are more explicit on this. But Israel never did occupy all the land 
that they were intended to occupy. Even the statement at the end of the book of Joshua that says all the promises of the Lord were fulfilled, you have to understand that in its proper context. And when you look at the geographical boundaries, they're not the same. And the point is, is that they, they never did fully occupy the land of Canaan. And, and to this day, Israel is just this little sliver of land and, you know, there's all kinds of things going on there, but this is not the intention. And so, you know, it's very fascinating because there's conjecture as to where the Garden of Eden was. And of course, that would have been wiped out in the flood. And we don't necessarily have the remnants of that. Uh, it may be buried under hundreds and thousands of feet of, uh, you know, sediment. I, I have no idea. I don't think it's there, but it seems that a lot of people locate that within, you know, what is now just the world's largest sandbox, which is the Arabian Peninsula. And, you know, that's something that's very fascinating. Kuwait, Iraq, Iran, that whole area that we just tend to think of as not only the Middle East, but, you know, arid climate, just pure desert. And it's very possible that that was all quite different. But regardless, they had a big, big trip to make. Uh, keep in mind, they're all on foot. This is going to take a long time. This is, uh, you know, hundreds of miles, I think over a thousand miles, a long, long way to, to get up and make a trip like this is quite incredible. And it looks like Terra is a part of that. So that stands out to me uh, when I read that. And of course, we recognize that Abram and Sarai have no children and Lot's father has died. So they're kind of uh, taking his nephew as one of their own, right? That's kind of how we we look at this in verse 31. And his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, they all go forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. And that is a foreshadowing of what's going to come in the next chapter. Uh, but we are told that. But when they came to Haran, a little ways off, who knows how far, uh, maybe not that far, maybe 30 miles, maybe 50 miles, you know, enough to be a decent amount. Like they've left that the place where they were in Ur. Uh, but it is still, you know, located within where the family has settled. Then it says they settled there. We don't know how long they settled there, but we know that the days of Terah, verse 32, are 205 years, and then Terah died in Haran. He never did go out from that land, and that's where his life ends. Now, again, I would just point out that we see a definite reduction in lifespan as we continue down through the generations. And really, if we're looking for a limitation or a prescription on, on that, we need look no farther than Psalm 90, verse 10. Probably not best to go back to Genesis 6-3. There is some debate on that. And when we covered that, it's interesting when God says the days of man shall be 120 years. You know, we, we've had people that have lived longer than that. And it's possible that that could be read uh, that the flood waters are coming in 120 years. Uh, but here, the average, Psalm 90, verse 10, seems to speak to average lifespans. The days of man are 70 years, or if by strength, 80. That seems to have held true all throughout the years. And regard, we have periods in history and times where societies are, are, are weaker with regard to their dietary habits and, and all those other things. And so lifespans are shortened, maybe during the Middle Ages, and now they're longer. 
And we may be tempted to think right now that because we may personally know somebody who's lived to be a centenarian, you know, a hundred years or more, that they're on the on the up and up. But the fact of the matter is, is you can just go to any statistical, you know, bureau of statistics, and uh, and it's really fascinating because the average lifespan in America, regardless of all of our modern scientific advancements and technology and medicine and everything else is still like 73.8 or whatever for men and like 77 point whatever for women. They live a little bit longer on average, but guess where that falls? It falls right there. And uh, we're not going to do anything to lengthen that. And so we see that lifespan kind of reducing over time and it's going to settle into this. And that's really where we're going to expect to see it. That's where it still is. So even if the oldest person alive today is 116 or 117 years old, the average is this 70 years or if by strength 80. And that's what we continue to find out. And by the way, theologically, uh, again, if we're, if our hope is in Christ for eternal life, why would we want to live longer you know, what, what's the purpose in stretching that out to 90 or 100 or 105? And, and that's really the question that I would have, right? I, I don't particularly want to. I, I'm feeling the effects of aging, and I'm in the middle of my life by biblical reckoning, and I, I, it's not pleasant. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's not pleasant. I, there are things, you know, injuries that are permanent to my body that I can't undo, surgery can't fix, and I have to live with these things the rest of my life. This is the effect of the of the fall and the curse. And this is not a pleasant way to go. Why, why would I want to be on this earth for 100 years or 200 years or 300 years? No, I want to, to go and be with Christ. That is much better, as Paul says in Philippians 1. So, uh, you know, we need to have a right theological perspective on that. So here is, you know, like I said, bringing it all back full circle, these five short verses here really are very, very important, setting the tone for the next almost 14 chapters, because we're not only going to understand what happens to Terah's offspring with regard to Abram, but also Lot, and also how Abram's children and his grandchildren get their spouses. It's all going to play in because they're going to end up going back and they're going to go to relatives. And where do these relatives come from? They all come from his father, Terah, and his descendants. And that's why we have this Toledoth laid out for us. Well, that's all we have time for today. We'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 12 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.